Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on a sermon series in Galatians. In a sermon titled Sowing and Reaping, Pastor Bob discusses why Christians should invest in their local church We'll also talk about the ways in which we mock God and why grace is better than karma. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, today is uh, November 3rd, 2020. It is the day of all kinds of concerns. You had done a four-part um, a four-part sermon series. series. Sorry, I got a yep. little little glitch on my uh, thing here. A sermon series on um, on presidential politics and just politics in general. Can you just kind of give maybe give a few words of encouragement before we start this today? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's um, what's interesting here is that of course people will be listening to this after that's true uh, the election and. Um, and maybe the results won't be in yet, or they won't be uh, firm or final. But you know, I, I think that we'll have a good idea of the results of the election for president, at least um, by Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, so within twelve to eighteen hours from now, right. I think we'll we'll have that. And um, you know what? What's I wrote an email to the congregation uh, last week and. What I want everyone to to take away from this um, is ultimately that you know the future is secure in Jesus, not in um, our politics, not in the results of this election, not in what's happening over the next 20, 30 years in our country or the world. Lots of good stuff could happen. Lots of bad stuff could happen. God is still in control of history, and he is still bringing it to uh, a beautiful, wonderful conclusion summing up all things in Jesus. Mm. And what's amazing is that we get to um, be harbingers of that now. Uh, in, in that sense, we're almost uh, people from the future, from the new heavens and new earth, uh, ambassadors of that place to this place, mm. uh, so that the people in this world now who don't yet know Jesus could hear about uh, a place and a reality that is different than how this place works. The way this place works um, is that, you know, you, you judge people immediately, you cancel them, there's no forgiveness. It, it works according to the elementary principles of the world, as we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it works seemingly more by karma than by grace. And, um, and, what, and what we get to do is talk to people about a kind and gracious king— uh, who actually takes our place on the cross and and gives us his life, his righteousness, his relationship with his heavenly Father. Um, and so that now we can live new lives and we can be peacemakers, we can be justice doers, we can be lovers of mercy. Uh, we can love our enemies, whoever they mm-hmm. might be. Um, and we don't have to use uh, violence in any way. We don't have to uh, force or compel people. Uh, in any way uh, to get what we want, because we know that Jesus is bringing us what we want, and he did it by giving up himself. 
And so for us, like for Christians, I hope that particularly in, in an election season, we double down on that, that Jesus is king, that, that we, we place our hope and our fear in God, not in our politics, and our identity is not found in our politics, but found in knowing him, that he is coming for us and bringing his kingdom to us. And that means that we can actually be deeply involved in our politics. We can be fantastic citizens because we can have actually a little bit of distance and, and, and we can do uh, what we think is best and good for our community as opposed to having to defend our very identity. Our, our future is secure. Our identity is secure. And so, therefore, we are free uh, to love our country and to love our neighbors um, for their own good and for their for their own sake. Um, so I, you know, I hope that we have gotten that message. I hope many Christians have heard that message um, and are therefore um, able to be uh, less anxious. In fact, there's a quote mm. I can't I can't um, say it verbatim, but something like you know what the world needs now uh, is is to see Christians um, as less anxious, right? more stable than than everyone else because they have a reason to be and and if we can be a stable peaceful less anxious presence in our country that will go a long way um Mm. to to making peace um, but also to drawing people to jesus because you know everyone wants peace everyone would like less anxiety you're not going to find it um by winning in politics you're going to find it by receiving Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And that's a really important message for these times. And again, if you want more on this, Bob did a, a four-part sermon series on uh, the gospel is greater than politics, and we've got it on our website and on Spotify and all the places where you can get sermons in this podcast. <laughs> it's Matt, it's actually the most listened to uh, sermon. Oh, that's, that, that's so uh, great. Christian political identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about this sermon. We're in Galatians. This is the 13th sermon in our series on Galatians. We've gone through a lot of different things, the, the, the theme about freedom and, and so forth. Um, but, uh, but according to a, a recent Barna study, one-third of practicing Christians admits to streaming a different church service online other than their own, essentially church hopping digitally. Why is it important that Christians invest in their local church? Well, you know, it's important for so many reasons. Um, and so much of being a Christian is about being known. You know, Paul, Paul says earlier in Galatians, he's like, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, right? Being a Christian, it's, more, it's not so much that you know God, it's that God knows you. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to be known. And not investing in our local church is a great way not to be known, right? You won't be cared for by the people of God. You won't be challenged by the people of God. You won't be held accountable by the people of God. And so it turns into something like Christianity light. Hmm. You get a little of God, maybe enough to feel a little bit better about yourself, but not enough to create a real friction and real setting for real change. And so, like I said in the sermon, you know, God designed us to grow through community, through other people, not really on our own. We know Christ often through other people. And when we don't invest in our local church, our time, our social energy, our resources, etc., we miss connecting with God's people in significant ways. And that leaves us spiritually impoverished. And finally, I also said this, 
we miss out on serving and using our gifts and abilities. And, and that's what God's designed us for, to, to operate in the world in such a way as to bring beauty and order and blessing and shalom to it, to carry on his work of beautifying, fructifying creation. And, and that's so much harder to do if we're not rooted in a local body of believers. So it's, it's much harder to live out our design as humans, as image bearers of God, when we are not rooted and anchored in a church community. So if I have time to listen to only one sermon, why should I listen to yours rather than Tim Keller's? I'm going to tell him whatever. That's a terrible question, Matt. <laughs> my, yeah. my question to you is, um, how do you know you're not listening to a Keller sermon? Oh, when, that's good. When that's I'm preaching. <laughs> that's right. It's in the DNA. <laughs> we, we know uh, we pastors have lots of, lots of jokes about that, right? Mm. You know, Saturday night and you got nothing. And it's just like, well, what did Tim Keller say about no. this? And uh, <laughs> just go you from can't there. can't go wrong. On that but <laughs> but um, it's a good question, but it's an interesting question that actually needs to be teased out mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're asking, you know, should I attend worship at Grace or should I stay home and listen to a Keller sermon? Well, I think that's a pretty easy answer, right? Because we need worship, we need the sacraments, we need the gathered body of Christ. Um, if it's, you know, should I, if, if we're doing worship at home, should I tune into Grace South Bay's worship or should I listen to a Keller sermon? Again, we need that rhythm mm. of, of singing, praying, confessing, not just a sermon. Um, of course, if we're asking, you know, like supplementally, you know, should I listen to more of Bob's sermons or Keller sermons? I would definitely add Keller to the list, mm-hmm. uh, add Keller to the rotation, right? He, he's incredibly gifted. But the thing is, is that, you know, Tim Keller doesn't know you or pray for you, right? Right. He's an amazingly gifted preacher and writer, um, and he's so good at speaking very, uh, speaking very sharply into upper class, upper middle class America, urban mm. America, educated America. But that's that's a general demographic, right? That the primary pastoral voice in your life probably should come from somebody um, who breathes the same air as you do, mm. uses the same roads, goes to the same restaurants, lives the same reality as you. Silicon Valley, in, in your case, right? Um, and so that you can be directed how the gospel applies specifically where you live, right? So, so you need a pastor preaching to you who is embedded in the same community as you are. I mean, that's the whole reason why Grace South Bay exists, right? right? Because we didn't right. want to just keep drawing people up to Palo Alto. And, and one final kind of thing on this, like if you're in a situation where you feel like someone like Tim Keller speaks as directly to you as any local pastor does, then that might be because you're actually not involved in your community like you should be. Right. Right. You, you should be involved enough in your community that a local pastor um, makes a difference in helping you apply the gospel locally. And, and I do think that that's an issue, right? I mean, we have mm-hmm. people who kind of come and go, and they, they remain in the orbit of a few different cities and metro areas, and it, and it doesn't really matter. Um, but Silicon Valley is a lot different than Manhattan, Mm-hmm. And and we need to be involved enough to know the difference and to sense it and to hear it in our preachers. Well, let, let's let's unpack that a bit because that's a good point. Uh, how is one's church experience affected by one's investment in that church? Yeah, I mean, you know, it might just be as simple as ownership, right? Like, you know, we call that skin in the game, or um, 
the SEC, the Southeastern Conference of, of Colleges, um, they play off kind of like their superior football teams, and, and they have a model that says, it just means more. Hmm. And, you know, that's what happens when we invest our time, our treasure, our hearts. If your heart is in your local church, then you, then you care about it, right? You'll fight for it. You want to see it flourish. Um, you take some responsibility for it. And so when you invest in your church, you're, you're more likely to listen more closely to the pastor. You'll probably get more out of his sermons. You'll probably meet up with him sometimes, and he'll be able to speak into your life. You're more likely to volunteer, and perhaps you find something that you're actually good at or you enjoy doing. Uh, maybe you'll even see gospel fruit in your life or in the lives of others that you serve. Um, you'll more likely gain some significant friendships or relationships centered around Jesus, because you'll be putting in time, and and you'll be emotionally present when you show up. You'll understand the reasons behind the church's programs, the church life and worship. You'll decide that whatever is imperfect is worth putting up with because of what you value, right? So so you are setting yourself up to, to maximize what that church does and what that church is good at, and you're actually going to grow as you try to improve it and make it even better, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it has a, a, a major impact on you as a believer and as a person if you are investing in your local church. And I'm getting the sense, too, when we talk about investment, you're, you're saying more than just giving money that. Absolutely. Now, I think money is the primary focus of this passage, but um, we are talking uh, about more than money. And, and, and I expanded that and I think Scripture justifies it for our own challenges here, uh, uniquely in Silicon Valley, right? Where it's in Silicon Valley, it's it can be much easier to write a check yeah. than to commit, uh, you know, forty hours of, of volunteering in some ministry over the year. Um, people in Silicon Valley are not short on money, and they're not short on uh, things to give money to, but they are short on meaningful relationships, meaningful interactions, meaningful community. And so, yes, we are talking about more than money. So if someone is, is inspired by this sermon and wants to get involved in our church, what should they do? Well, you know, it depends on, you know, how deep, deeply involved they are in the church already, how well they know the church. If they're brand new, it's probably better to get in touch with a pastor, me or Stephen, just to get the lay of the land. Uh, our opportunities for getting involved are usually announced in worship. They're emailed out. They're put on our private Facebook group. So... People need to get on that email list and private Facebook group. But if, if you've been attending and uh, for a while, you've been seeing these announcements, uh, you hopefully know that there's all kinds of compassion and service opportunities, you know, feeding hungry people, helping uh, rebuild things, um, you know, helping foster care families, that kind of stuff. Um, as we uh, ramp up gathered worship, we're going to uh, need all kinds of help with setup and teardown, music, audiovisual, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We have community groups that need more hosts and more leaders. Our teens always need more adult volunteers to care for them and and share wisdom with them. You know, and I could give a half a dozen names and email addresses here for contacts, but it's probably just easier to contact me or Stephen, our other pastor. And, uh, and we can put you in touch with that right person. That's, you know, Bob at Gray South Bay or Stephen at Gray South Bay. But um, we have opportunities, and, and we, we don't want to just throw people into stuff, really, if possible. So mm-hmm. we'd love to be able to talk with people and help them figure out what, what might be the best opportunity for them and, and where their abilities might line up with our needs. 
So is it possible to invest in our church in a fleshly way? In fact, I think you mentioned this in the sermon. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, You know, so much of it comes down to what you are trying to get out of it, right? And so if you are trying to get out more money or uh, if you want, you know, control of a ministry, if you want, you know, to build your own little fiefdom, right? If you want others to think highly of you, uh, if you want to assuage your own conscience, then you're sowing to the flesh. Um, wh- whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is that you are you are um, doing and sowing, you're actually ultimately sowing to the flesh because it's all about you. Um, mm. Now, we, we could actually answer the question another way and say, um, no, you cannot invest in your church in a fleshy way because really what you're doing is investing in yourself uh, mm. and your own ego when you do that. So, you know, so much of this comes down to our motivation, what we are after, what we are really worshiping. And, and you know, we know churches can be filled with people who are ultimately worshiping themselves mm-hmm. and not God. And so that's why we constantly have to be talking about this. We constantly have to be talking about the gospel. We have to constantly be talking about idolatry and how our hearts are easily pulled in that direction. So we're not offering like a tenfold uh, return on a thousand dollar investment uh, for the for the church, unfortunately, no. <laughs> you know, Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about this in Mark ten. It's not tenfold; right. it's a hundredfold. Hundredfold. And yeah, right. uh, you know what he says. You know, whatever you've left, you know, uh, f- mothers, fathers, fields, whatever, uh, for my sake and the gospel's sake, you can expect a, 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 a hundredfold in return. Hmm. Um, but, you know, there, every commentator believes what he's talking about is that what you receive are the resources of the people of God, the resources of the church. Hmm. And, uh, of course, it's true that members of Grace South Bay have access to the resources of the church. It's, they're at their disposal when they're in need. But that's not how we want to read this passage. Right. We read it as if, you know, if we give up a little comfort and luxury, we're going to get a lot more comfort and luxury in return. That's how we want to read it. Hmm. And, and of course, that's not how Jesus meant it, who, who, you know, said of himself, he had nowhere to lay his head, right? He's certainly not right. promising lots of, lots of luxury to his followers in this life. In fact, what he says in this life, you can expect to receive persecution. Hmm. And he also says that it's what you give up for my sake and the gospel, right? So you never give up wealth or anything else in order to get more of that stuff back. You give up something for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, right? And Jesus is promising here that that will not be overlooked. It will not be forgotten. You will not be abandoned by God. That's that's what he's promising his disciples. So how do our expectations for community and our level of commitment possibly lead to dissatisfaction? Well, you know, I, I think that this is what we've been conditioned for partially, right? Our, our culture um, has a high level of entitlement. Um, we've grown accustomed to expecting everything to be wonderful and magical. That Maybe we've always struggled with this. Modern media makes it harder. I mean, TV made it hard enough, but now social media makes it much worse, right? We, uh, we see people's fake realities. We wonder why that's not our reality, Um we are more and more consumers of all things, right? Because we're taught to be consumers. That's how companies right. make money. We want to be catered to. Companies try to make us feel catered to, so we'll buy their product. If something takes more effort and some discomfort, it's likely not going to do well in the marketplace. 
<laughs> right? So we are being yeah, conditioned right, to have high consumerist expectations around all things. Mm. I mean, certainly we see that with church. But, you know, with so many important things like our own physical health, financial stability, our, our most important relationships, right? We understand these things take commitment and hard work. And it certainly does with spirituality. And, uh, you know, with spirituality, we have these stories in the Bible and maybe some contemporary stories. We see how, you know, some people have these great mountaintop experiences with God, and we wonder where ours is, right? And we don't consider mm. what brought Moses or David or Elijah or Jesus or Peter or Paul to the mountaintop, right? Mm. It wasn't right. it wasn't easy, comfortable, entitled living. Um, finally, you know, in this case, it's like, for, for the the Christian uh, context for relationships, Christians can often have very high expectations of other Christians and very low expectations of themselves. Hmm. Um, they seem unwilling to extend to others the kind of grace they expect from others, right? On the one hand, hey, if you're a Christian, you ought to be able to show me the grace of God and not expect so much from me, right? It, it's sort of like you're, you're letting yourself off the hook. But like what we read in this passage, if you want grace from others— well, maybe you should try extending grace to others first, right? Yeah. It's just as simple as that. Does does living in the Silicon Valley pose unique challenges to making social connections and building community? I, I think absolutely, Matt. I mean, you know, Silicon Valley has similarities with other locations, but but maybe nowhere else are people supposed to live for work and love their work, love their career so much. You know, like if you if you don't love your career and find so much meaning in it, then you're failing somehow here in Silicon yeah. Valley. Um, maybe nowhere else do people sacrifice on housing and quality of life for the sake of career. And that just sets us up for poor connections and, and community. Most people are in the same field, technology. Everyone feels like they always have to be competing um, always projecting this aura of of success and control. Um, so people feel like they don't have time to invest in communities and relationships unless there is immediate benefit, right? There, there has to be this instantaneous gratification from community and relationships. Otherwise, there's no time to invest and to see if, if a relationship or community can grow into something beautiful. There's just no time. There's no margin. And and everyone's living in smaller houses and in spread out communities, right? So it's really hard to keep up relationships, friendships, um, at home hospitality really suffers. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, people with home setups like your backyard mm-hmm. uh, are so valuable to a local <laughs> church. I mean, it's, it's just it's so important um, that people can, you know, have open homes, and, uh, and there's actually, you know, a, a real shortage of that in, in places like Silicon Valley. And I think the time factor is huge, too, because people want to go deep, but going deep takes time. You can't, you don't go deep in, in a little bit of, 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 uh, of time, right? Yep. Life on life together. And that's, uh, that's really hard to, it's really hard to get here. And, you know, it's, I don't know what it is in terms of we're all spread out. But we have our work friends, we have our recreation friends, we have our church friends, we have our, our kids, uh, our, our kids' friends, parents, you know, and, but they're all in different groups. And so, you know, we don't have the ability to just know that every few weeks or every week we're going to be with this group of people. And that's what really builds relationship. And frankly, that's why community group is so important. 
hmm. because it's that's where you know on a weekly or biweekly basis you are going to be with the same people from your particular church and you're going to be able to pray for each other you're going to be able to learn about each other's lives and over time that should develop at least a few significant relationships and connections hmm. um so this passage uh talks about sowing and reaping in fact that's the title of your sermon and um it talks about this idea of mocking God. How do we mock God? Well, we mock God when we refuse his grace. Um, what Paul is saying here is that sowing to the flesh mocks God, right? And that's the the primary way that the Galatians might sow to the flesh is by taking on circumcision and, and at least a few parts of the Mosaic law. And Paul's like, you know, you, you started out by the Spirit and you think you're going to be perfected by the flesh? That's silly. And, mm. and what it is, it's saying to God, thanks, but I can take it from here, right? And that mocks God. Mm. Now, the other way you mock God is by saying, thanks, but I need more. It's not enough. Mm. I need my own glory. I need my own pleasure. I need my own comfort, right? That's sensuality. And, and Paul is saying, like Jesus said and the prophet said before him, you won't get away with that. God cannot be mocked. And, and what's interesting is that maybe what we are most in danger of is saying yes to God's grace. Yes, I want that. That sounds right. I want that. But then we do very little about that yes, right? Hmm. We, we don't remind ourselves of that grace. We don't try to live in light of that grace. We don't try to draw near to the God of that grace. And then we complain to God about not experiencing his grace in our lives when we haven't really invited his grace into our lives. We said yes, but then we've kept on with our own agendas. And and that's also a way of mocking God, right? And so that's that's what I'm hoping many of us can consider is, you know, what are we doing with this gospel message that we, we say is beautiful and, and, and we love and we say yes to? Um, okay, then what now? Yeah. So we, we, we sow to the, the, the flesh, we reap one thing, which is not good. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of it's sowing to the Spirit. Um, what does that mean, and what is the harvest we can expect if we do that? Yeah, so I said in the sermon, you know, sowing to the Spirit, what it means is that we, you know, we give up on the flesh, right? We give up our self-salvation and our self-glory strategies. We recognize our spiritual and moral bankruptcy, and we're going to God in faith, through his son Jesus for salvation and new life. And and one of the ways that many of us talk about it is this lifestyle of repentance, right? This is something that happen can happen daily or even more frequently. Like we we turn away from ourselves and our agenda and we turn to God, recognizing that there's nothing in us but everything in Jesus. That's sowing to the Spirit. That's inviting the Holy Spirit in. That's, that's being led by the Spirit, as Paul just said in chapter 5. And, and when we do that, we are reaping eternal life. And, mm. you know, if the question is, you know, what does that look like specifically? It, it looks like death. It looks like dying to ourselves, giving our time, our resources, our connections, our social assets for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Uh, dying to ourselves. You mentioned that one of the ways we do that is we die to the idea of justifying ourselves. Mm, so my yeah. question for you, to you is, if we don't justify ourselves, who will? Yeah. I mean, we absolutely, um, 
we, we do not and we cannot justify ourselves. Yeah. Only God can, right, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And, and that justification is something that, that we can only receive by faith. So mm. when we are sowing to the Spirit daily, right, in real time, it's not about justifying ourselves, right? That's, and and it's, it's very problematic if, if we think that's what we're doing, because then we're moving towards the sort of legalism and Phariseeism that, that Jesus and Paul are always railing against. We are not justifying ourselves. We can't do that. That can't be our goal. God is the one who justifies the ungodly, and so we have to trust him with that. Well, then the question is, why so to the Spirit? Right? If hmm, if, if yeah. justification is already taken care of, why so to the Spirit? Because it's about enjoying our justification. It's about mm. enjoying God now and, and, and making ourselves useful in the world and, and to those around us. Um, to, to put it like Paul does in Philippians 2, right? we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in yeah. us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. But But my job... What I'm trying to do here is to sort of set this up so so people who have received the gospel and have said yes to Jesus, to, to give them reason and motivation for diving into the means of grace that we are given, the everyday means of grace we are given to know God and to enjoy him and to walk with him. Paul just said in, in chapter 5, right, we cannot do what we want to do because the Spirit is at war with the flesh. Right, so why mm. fight the flesh? Why fight sin? Because it's not fun anymore to sin. If you're a Christian, the Spirit will not let you get away with it. It, it will not soothe you. And so we can have joy and peace and abundant life now mm. by sowing to the Spirit. And we begin to experience eternal life now when we do it. That's why we do it, not to justify ourselves, but to enjoy that justification, to live out that justification. So if we're Christians, we, we believe in Jesus, obviously, that, that's the first part. But what does it mean to know Jesus? Is that is that different? Well, I mean, it's not supposed to be different, but I think we can make it different, right? And we've talked about it in a different way. We, we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago, the difference between um, believing in Jesus and believing Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's the same thing as knowing, right? We can we can believe in Jesus, but not really know Jesus that well. And, you know, that's, we, you know, we, can, we can sort of miss out on a, an active uh, daily relationship with him. Hmm. To, to know Jesus is to experience him, to have him speaking into your life, to have him accompany you in your day, right? To live your life before him, in his presence, before his face, quorum Deo, he can be an ever-present part of your lived reality, and mm-hmm. and it's amazing when that happens, and and when you are in that, when you are in that phase, when you when you're when you're living that way, um, knowing Jesus this way, it changes your reactions to things, it, it changes your words, it changes your choices, it changes your attitude toward your present circumstances, and it changes your view of the future. So, I mean, to to. Be united to Jesus and to have saving faith. You 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 do know Him, 
um, but we can know him more and more, right? And that's why Paul says, after the verse that I quoted, right, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, etc., etc. He says, not that I have attained all this, brothers, right, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Right, and he says, you know, he he reiterates like I don't I don't know Jesus as well as I could yet, but mm-hmm. I want to know him more and more, and that's what the Christian is invited to do every day of their lives, and it's an incredible invitation. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we have a moment by moment experience of Jesus? I like I said in the sermon, and it, in some sense, it kind of sounds like bad news. But we do <laughs> that. <laughs> we do. We do it by dying with him. Yeah, that's how mm. we know him. We share mm. in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I mean, of course, there are other ways. Uh, you know, it can happen for people as they are worshiping. It can happen as they open up his word. It can happen simply in prayer. But I mean, I think that the the number one most direct way it happens for us, in a visceral way it happens for us, is when we decide to die with him, dying to the flesh for him, to know him, uh, to, to love what he loves, right? Dying to our ego and our super egos, dying to our own agenda and our self-centered view of the world, dying to building our own name and glory and kingdom, um, and, and we see this in all, all throughout the Scripture in the New Testament. Elsewhere, Jesus calls it picking up our cross and following him, or losing our lives in order to save them, right? So in all of these different categories that we have in modern life where we find meaning and importance, areas where we can succeed or fail, right? We, we try to manage and control uh, these moments and, and the future, right? We take those things and we let go of them when we find them getting in the way of knowing Jesus. And sometimes we're given opportunities to let go of them in order to know Jesus better. Like, you know, getting up to pray when you would rather sleep or giving more time to that person who is struggling and at the moment doesn't have much to offer you in return. Right? Sacrificial generosity with all of our resources, emptying ourselves, done for the sake of knowing Jesus, it draws us closer to him. That gives us immediate fellowship with him because that's what he did for us. He Mm. emptied himself and gave himself away. So as we do that with him in view, we know him. We get him. He promises to be with us. Hmm. So when this passage talks about, you know, reaping what we sow, is that the same thing as karma? There there are similarities in that sense in terms of, of reaping what we sow, but but we do not perfectly reap what we sow in God's moral economy, and that is a difference between grace and karma. So karma is sort of this closed system, right? It, it, it says in particular, and I, I looked this up this past week just to make sure, it mm. literally says, you know, no one can save you. No one else can mm. save you. You must do it yourself. If you have bad karma, you have to turn it around yourself. No one else can do it. And if you have good karma, keep it up, right? Hmm. Grace says your only hope is someone better and stronger than you saving you, intervening, rescuing you. And and now it's hard to get more opposite than those two ends, right? And the question is, or the issue is like, if we take a hard look at ourselves, man, 
karma shouldn't give us much comfort or confidence, right? I mean, if we really know ourselves, we should not be that impressed. In fact, as you've heard me say before, you are likely the greatest sinner you know, right? Mm. So you should should, uh, conclude that you have worse karma than everyone else, given what you know. (laughs) But if grace is the truth, then there is hope. There's, there's hope outside of your limited knowledge, your divided heart, your meager effort. And the really cool thing is grace actually trains you for righteousness, mm. and, which is oftentimes the, you know, the, the, the critique is that you know, grace, the gospel, you know, Jesus coming to rescue us, it's just so easy. And, and it kind of leaves us disinterested or not involved. It, what, it turns out that both karma and grace are really after the same thing which is a righteous individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the best way for an individual to come to righteousness? And, and what the Bible says, and I actually think modern psychology affirms this, is that people move toward health when they know they are safe and loved, when there mm. is hope for a better future and freedom from being defined by their past. And a, a personal sovereign God who bears our sin upon himself and is available to us today is much better at creating that environment than an impersonal, airtight system of reaping what you sow without any hope of external rescue or interruption. So grace interrupts karma. Grace interrupts this perfect one-to-one reaping what you sow. There is a connection, right? Our, our actions absolutely have uh, you know, coherent consequences. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be meaningful. But what's incredible is that God can take upon himself through his son on the cross the eternal, evil, wicked consequences of those actions and then turn them back to good and resurrection. That's, mm. the, that's the miracle of the gospel. There's nothing miraculous about karma. So is it wrong to uh, want grace for ourselves and karma for others? <laughs> you know what? There's there are there are psalms, right? The imprecatory psalms, where um, you know where where it can actually sound pretty pretty harsh, right? What the mm-hmm. psalmist is asking God to do to his enemies, um, and and I guess the way to think about that is well, what we are doing is we're asking God to do justice, and we're not taking justice in our own hands, right? And and we're not we're not resorting to violence, but we're asking God to see to it. Um, and what the the great thing about the Bible is, it gives expression to all of our emotions, right? And later on, we know that that Jesus and then Stephen after him can be praying for the people who are killing killing them, asking God to forgive them, right? So um, we we on the one hand, God meets us in our anger, and and gives us words for that, and on the other hand, also then points us to the cross and says, you know what, your sins have been paid for here also your enemy's sins. So we, you know, hopefully we continue to grow and and recognize that even our greatest enemies, we actually want to see rescued by God's grace. And the Spirit can do that in us. And you know what? I think um, that is probably the best message to end this podcast on today, this <laughs> on election, election day. day. <laughs> right. To want the best for our enemies and for love and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah. So, Bob, thanks again for your time today. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah. The title of Bob's sermon is Sowing and Reaping. It's the 13th sermon in a series in Galatians. You can find that sermon 
and all our sermons in this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. Uh, Two Sundays ago, we held our first in-person worship service in seven months. We were outside with masks and was socially distant, but we were able to sing and pray and worship together, and it was wonderful. We would love to have you join us this Sunday at 1030 in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose, but you have to sign up. Space is limited to 150 people, so look for that sign-up email from one of our pastors. By the way, if you're new to Grace and are not receiving these emails, we would encourage you to visit our website at gracesouthbay.com and click on the Connect button at the top. Fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. We know that these are challenging times, but Grace's pastors, elders, and leaders are on duty, so let us know how we can care for you. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.